Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Hi, everybody. This is Michael Abernathy at the Times News, and I'm here with Peter Bishop. Director of Economic Development for yes. the City of Burlington. Thank you. He's here to talk about what's going on this week at the Western Electric facility campus. It's a big deal for the city and a big deal for the area. Peter, what's happening? So I'd say December, January of this past year, we were working with the the previous owner of the facility, Donnie Neuenberger, who was a retired NASCAR uh, driver and a part owner of the facility. And he had purchased it years ago and done a lot of scrapping work and so took a lot of the precious metals out of the facility and and, and got some good value out of that. Uh, But during that process, I mean, his initial position was, well, I'm just going to tear this down and extract as much value as I can. But after certain many months of being on site, working here, living out of a hotel room with a crew in Burlington, uh, he really started to fall in love with the property and and changed his mind and said, no, you know, we're not going to tear this thing down for a few reasons. First and foremost, his you know passion for it after being in it so long and looking at all of it and, and really getting a feel for for the site and, and what it was. Um, also, the expense that it would have been. Uh, the facility was constructed to withstand Russian missile attacks. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the size of the beams in there and the construction that's involved. So it would have been a very expensive proposition to fully demolish the entire site. So partially practical, but partially passion. Um really got him motivated to to think about the future for the site. And through some work with our staff um, at the city of Burlington, um, he decided to go forward with a national register application to mm-hmm. the, the Federal National Register of Historic Places. And that was accepted two years ago in 2016. Um, so it is now on the National Register uh, as, as a site. So that you know, provide some opportunities for tax credits going forward to help finance whatever could happen next on the property and preserve some of the structures that are significant. That was really the the starting point. And working with Donnie, we brought in a few professors uh, that were related or in, involved in design uh, with the American Institute of Architects through some work that council and the mayor had done with um, some, some different groups. And they had an interest in promoting this property as a potential preservation project for grants and said, you know, this, this mm-hmm. could really really fit well with some programs that are available out in the marketplace. And sure enough, there was one that was specifically identified, and that's the American Institute of Architects Sustainable Design Assessment Team, or SDAT. And that's where you see all that SDAT language. That's what that stands for, Sustainable yeah. Design Assessment Team. And the intent of that processes, it's uh, it's twofold. It's a bit of a, a an annual give back of the AIA. So this is the private organization that all uh, architects join um, nationally. And the ESTAT program is designed to give them an opportunity to give back to a community project throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And there are typically between five and eight of these ESTATs done annually. And the intent is to bring a group of national professionals from the AIA to Uh, bring all their experience to bear on a project and issue that's in a city. Some cities have focused on environmental sustainability. Others have focused on economic sustainability. You know, we're certainly in the second Mm -hmm. category and looking at uh, the plan itself and uh, really historically the, the strong impact that it had on the city and really an entire side of town. 
Western Electric and the folks that work there and, and previously the Tar Heel Missile Plant really built a technical middle class and an engineering class in mm-hmm. the city of Burlington, who yeah. historically we had textile employees who were on the lower side of the wage and then the owners of those textile plants who were on the upper side and there wasn't really a middle outside of some of the business owners, et cetera. Uh, so what this plant did when it really came online in the 40s and the 50s uh, and through its different uh, machinations really helped build a technical class and, and really built that side of town. So there's you know subdiv- the Alamance Hills subdivision, which is uh, in that area, was built generally to serve the employee base that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire Graham Hopedale Church Street stopped at the shift change. Um, so they had police, you know, stopping traffic and letting people in and out. So that oh, I didn't at, know that. Yeah. At a, at a certain point there were 4,000 employees on site. Right. So it was the largest employer in the city by a, by a strong margin. And if you ask almost anybody in the city of Burlington of a certain age, you know, tell them about the, the missile plant or the Western electric plant. All of them have a relative, a parent, a brother or sister who worked mm. there. A lot of them came here because of that. And it, it really helped build generations of, you know, pretty, high quality citizens and, and individuals that um, that stayed here and grew here and grew their families here. So right. the, the social connection is there and, and, and the familial connection is certainly there from this plant. And because of that history and its importance, and then really since it's closed, to say nothing's happened is, is, is probably selling it short. I mean, okay. th- that plant, what it meant for that side of town was so immense. And then when you take all of that away, you know, the, the sort of hole that's left in, you know, the economy. So there, are, there aren't so many people going to get lunch or, you know, doing their dry cleaning, needing services, right. buying houses or improving those houses. So in the 25 to 30 years since the, the full closure of the plant in the early 90s, that area and the neighborhood around it has seen sort of a, not disinvestment, but there hasn't been a lot of new investment. Right. And we should... <laughs> pause here to say the Western Electric facility, if you're not familiar with it, is what's on the corner of Graham Hopedale Road and North Church Street. Uh, it's a large structure there, or multiple structures, 16 buildings? Uh, 16, if you if you put them all together, I think there's 30 different construction points and additions. Mm-hmm. So it all ends up being about 16, but there were 30 different points on the National Register application okay. that this has been added, this has been added, this has yeah. been improved. So yeah, and it's on 23 acres. So in a central city to have 23 acres, and I think it ends up being uh, just under 800,000 square feet total under roof. Um, that's a massive site and a massive you know set of buildings mm-hmm. that are in, all in different configurations, you know, not necessarily the, the typical industrial today, which is, you know, 30 foot clear height near an interstate, great truck access in and out. So traditionally, that you know, we we refer to this and some other more centrally located plants that are away from the main transportation corridors as legacy industrial sites. So back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, these were very um, well located with rail and with you know the the, the central transportation yeah. and near employees. Today, that's a little bit different. So you want your properties to be on the interstate. You want them to be easy to access for both employees and for transportation. So this site represents more of a legacy industrial site. You know, back when rail was to it, yep. and there was the Fairchild Air field there. So there were a lot of different assets that that made it what it was. And a lot of that's changed over the years. You know, we've got 4085. That's a few miles south. There aren't very good direct roadway connections to this plant um, from that interstate. So positioning it um, in the future uh, as an industrial site probably is going to have limited success. Right. It's never going to be 
a massive 4,000 employee industrial site again. I think that's that's likely and safe to say. Um, so what could it be? And you know, really, it, it hasn't been much of anything over the 30 years. And and to, to sort of get to the crux of what the SDAT's designed to do is what could it be in the future? Right. Um, for as important as this facility was in the past, how can it be redeveloped, reframed to uh, get a lot of community involvement and address needs within the neighborhood and the community? Uh, how can it address greater needs throughout the region um, through some services that can be provided there? How can we preserve the history and the legacy of the building? A lot of classified and other things took place within the structure that were very, you know, hush hush and confidential. A lot of that's over now. And so you have a lot of stories to be told that have never been told about the property. Different people have artifacts. I mean, everything from rotary phones to the Nike missile series were manufactured on this uh, site. Wooden aircraft for, you know, training in World War II was was built out there. One of the first rayon manufacturing plants in the state was there. Uh, The Johnson Rayon Company was the first tenant of that site. Firestone tire and rubber had, you know, a, a piece on the site. And then, of course, AT&T and Lucent Technologies were the most recent tenants doing advanced technological uh, communications equipment. So many different technical things were done here. A lot of innovation took place here, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people don't know about everything that happened because of the secrecy that it was cloaked in for so long. And, and of course, having that role in the Cold War and the U.S. military. So there's a lot to, to tell on this on this property. And Part of this project is to to maybe open that door and tell that a little bit better and use that history as a lever into the future and how we can attract more interest in it. And then just generally Cold War tourism is starting to become a thing. Interesting. So the what makes this property historically um, valuable and relevant is there's a there was a famed industrial architect in the 40s and 50s uh, Albert Kahn and his firm based out of Chicago did a lot of uh, different industrial designs for the US government these are being preserved throughout the country and according to the state's Department of Cultural Resources that Cold War tourism is becoming a thing so a lot of these old Nike uh, so in, in, in addition to building the missiles there are these missile batteries throughout the country that were set up uh, as a missile defense system to protect mm-hmm. from any you know attack from uh, Russia or, or whomever our enemies were at that time. Those old silos are becoming preserved right. and turned into different things, and there are a lot of tours around them and a lot of interest. and And so this could be another one of those stops or another point of interest in some of that tourism, uh, as well as helping to tell the story of what was built here and who built it and how they did it and, and what it meant to our general community. Yeah, let's get to this week because this is a a really big week. It's the the three day sort of mm-hmm. intensive study and and look at the property and community input is going to be a very large part of that that's right. The uh, So the AIA grant that we were successful in uh, getting, community engagement and understanding neighborhood needs is really at the at the foundation of it. Um, so everything that we've really designed is focused on getting as much input as possible as to what's been happening in the neighborhood, what some of the needs are, what the, the city and the city council and you know other people who are doing long-term planning for the city um, need to see. There is a private owner who has, you know, paid money for this uh, project and would like to see a return on that. So what is the ownership group's plans? What what could they possibly do to um, get value out of this property as well? But I think going back to the community, um, because it has been or historically was such an important piece of the community, and a lot of that in the last 25, 30 years, of course, has not been there. Mm-hmm. So what what's missing and what can we all do together and plan. And and this also gives the uh, community an opportunity to talk to the city directly and say, how are you planning, you know, bikeways or greenways or transportation projects or public parks or, you know, 
job services, medical services, all these different things that you know we sometimes have a hand in, but we're, we're very involved with other nonprofit organizations, other partner organizations who provide those services. You know, the, the county offices are in that area. There's a right. significant uh, amount of uh, employees there. So certainly interested in what the county's future plans are uh, in that area. So we want everybody to provide some feedback and say, how can this sort of quiet and long vacant core uh, corner here um, how can it you know produce the best thing for the community and and for the city at large yeah <clears throat> to make that happen Wednesday is the big day for the input uh, it, yes. it looks like so Wednesday the 19th, uh, we'll start with a community breakfast and our council members will, and city staff will be present for that. It's of course open to the public and uh, Western Steakhouse will be providing breakfast for attendees there. We're putting up a tent on site. So the, the AIA folks wanted us to, as, as much as we could, get people actively on the site so mm-hmm. they could see it. Again, it being you know so quiet and clandestine for so long, that's a really important piece of the engagement is touching and feeling and seeing what's going on. Maybe no tasting. <laughs> right. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we start at eight to 10. We'll have a community input session with the SDAT team, and that will be in the format of more moderated discussion. So the intent is not to present as the AIA folks have put it. They want to listen. And so they're ha- they'll have their listening ears on for that morning session. Mm-hmm. And then additionally, there will be an evening uh, session where we'll, we'll do tours starting at five o'clock. And we're not going to tour the entire site. You won't have run of this facility. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's been vacant for a while. There's broken glass. There's you know pieces of metal sticking out somewhere to snag. Uh, so safety is our top concern. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a limited tour. We're going to get inside of a couple of buildings and take a walk around the grounds and see some things. And so we're excited about that to, to actually show some of the features that are in some of the buildings. That'll happen at five o'clock on Wednesday. And then immediately following those tours at six o'clock, uh, a more formal com- uh, community meeting will occur. And so anybody who wasn't able to come in the morning can come then in the evening. And again, it's more of a setup as a listening session so that folks can talk about some of the ideas, some of the things that they think could possibly work. Really, we're asking for creativity. Um, We're asking for passion to come out in these. So uh, really, there's no such thing as a bad idea or a stupid question, if you will, on uh, on these sessions. We're going to take everything that we can get and try and compress it into a, a sort of vision and a sketch plan for what could be on the property. So yeah, Wednesday's the big day of public input. Mm-hmm. And then in between those two sessions, there's going to be some uh, stakeholder groups that will be doing sort of more focused interviews with the SDAT team over at the uh, Mako Bigelow Community Center. Those will happen, and that'll be a more in-depth, very um, intensified gr- group of stakeholders that will be providing very professional expertise. So we're going to have area architects, real estate developers, community members, healthcare providers, those type of folks will be um, providing even more specific and in-depth insight into the property in the middle of the day and then rolling into another evening session. The next day, Thursday, is going to be, that's a work day. So obviously with all that input and community engagement that goes on on the Wednesday. The SDAT team is going to start filtering that and using it to formulate this sketch and vision for the property based on some of those comments. Um, They're also going to be looking at city plans. So we have a a bicycle and pedestrian plan. We have a greenways plan. We have a comprehensive plan that talks about land uses throughout the city and what they need to do. And I think it's also important to note that, you know, my job in economic development, and, and I'm a relatively recent hire within the last two years, one of the top priorities of our city council was to 
take these legacy industrial sites and envision what the future will be for mm-hmm. them. Um, we have a few of them, you know, older textile plants or other facilities that uh, aren't as well located or aren't as, you know, um, they're, they're more functionally obsolete for modern industrial operations. So what can they be? And we've seen throughout North Carolina mills being renovated. Uh, we have our own Mayhosiery mill right across the street here yeah. that's being turned into uh, um, uh, apartments. So there's opportunities for those things to happen on these properties throughout. And they see working with the AIA and the community in this SDAT format, maybe this will be a model for how we'll approach legacy industrial properties elsewhere throughout. Okay. So Thursday's their big work day. And then Friday, there will be a final presentation at uh, the ABSS uh, auditorium there on Vaughn Street at the mm-hmm. at the central office. I believe that's at six o'clock. Six o'clock. And that will be more the presentation. So for a day, SDAT listens and takes in all the input. They work on it. They process it on day two. They review a lot of different plans and things the city's provided. And then on day three, they make a, a, a presentation of their preliminary findings. And that'll be, you know, what we've heard, what, you know, comes up the most, what they feel has to be there, maybe things that maybe aren't a good fit. And then the intent is that a few months thereafter, maybe October, November, a final report will be written and issued by the SDAT team based on this, you know, three day intensive period. And it'll state, you know, if this is where we want to go and this is where the community wants to go, then from an implementation perspective, the city needs to focus on these things. The community needs to focus on these handful of things. And uh, the owner needs to take these steps in order to make this vision that we've built over these last few days come to reality. That's a lot of, well, that's a lot of work to compress into three days. It is. Especially one day of input, one day really to digest it Mm -hmm. uh, and then turn it back around. Um, And that's the, the intent of these is to be, um, is to be more of a sketch and a vision. Now, this is not a rezoning. We're not approving mm -hmm. a set of development plans. There's no imminent development that'll happen as a, as a result of this SDAT process and this plan. It's really to set a vision Mm -hmm. and something that, uh, you know, to my understanding, there has not been a vision set for this property since it's been closed. That's true. And in my business in economic development, there's there's a sales aspect to it. And when you're trying to attract people and investors and dollars and you know youth and employment into an area, the first thing you need is a good plan. Because if an investor's coming in with a lot of money to possibly do a project, they want to know, well, what's what's the city going to do? What's the neighborhood going to do? You know, what's going to happen in the future? Who else is in with me in this investment? Mm-hmm. And what this process will do is really help set that vision and that plan. It'll make this property, all the adjacent properties, the neighborhood, much more marketable. Mm-hmm. It'll build enthusiasm around these ideas. And frankly, it'll put some onus on all the partners involved, the neighborhood, the city, everybody, uh, to do more, to be more involved, and to work on that impl- all those implementation steps. It's interesting. I've, I've been in Burlington about 12 years, and East Burlington has always been a big problem is the wrong word, but issue. So mm-hmm. the council is always being approached. What can we? What what can the city do about East Burlington? The city is always talking about it. We we really need mm-hmm. development in East Burlington. We really need uh, some revitalization in, in that area. This would be a huge step to that. It seems like no, it certainly would. And uh, I guess I'm 
I'm not as big of a fan of the east-west, you know, type of sure. dichotomy of the city. Sure. Um, but to me, we're all one city, and you, you stand and you fall no matter what neighborhood you're in in the city. So, but I, I think you can point to a couple different areas of town that are in need of investment and reinvestment mm-hmm. and vision and, and an injection of enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, I say that as just somebody who, who heard it from residents. Sure, there, um, and who just want. You know, they mm-hmm. remember what it was like when it was bustling and busy and 4,000 people uh, yeah. just in that one location. And so they, you know, they, they really would like to see. They've got some new some mm-hmm. new stuff that's come in there. But it's been piecemeal and unlimited mm-hmm. scale. And uh, I think you make a good point that by doing the plan and really putting, I don't know that we're putting ourselves out there necessarily, Um I think it's it's clear to see that there's a need for investment in uh, in and around the Western Electric site and in the neighborhood. Um, we are getting set to do some sidewalk intersection improvement and mm-hmm. paving. Um, so we're going to the State Department of Transportation is going to be widening North Graham Hopedale Road right in front of the plant area. Our Link Transit system heads out there. Uh, our recently completed bike and ped plan has multi-use paths that uh, go near the site that we're going to seek to connect to. So we're, we're doing some things in the area. To 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 look into the future, but what this will really do is uh, it, it will shake things up to a certain extent. It'll it'll set an aspirational vision for this area, and it'll mm-hmm. help better guide our investments as a city. So where we put the next shelter, how soon we phase certain uh, projects, they they have an impact on where private investment will go. I've been down North Church and Graham Hopedale a lot in the last year uh, around this project and otherwise, and it's interesting. There really isn't a ton of vacancy down North no, Church Street. There's not. very well, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of commercial activity. There's tons of employees. But I think the the impression you get is that it could it could be better. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at that and there's, there's always room. I think this is one of the things that um, uh, good economic developers do is you're always looking at constant improvement and, you know, you could always be doing better. And what's mm-hmm. the, what's the next thing? How could we possibly get this a little bit better? So while we're, uh, while there isn't a lot of vacancy, there hasn't been a lot of new investment. Right. And this would be a pathway to get some new investment, get some excitement around the area, to tie this property and some of the adjacent properties to our downtown through Main Street and some other multi-use paths that we're looking at doing, to connect this property to the North Park facility, which has seen a lot of investment and mm-hmm. ongoing investment, mm-hmm. as well as Fairchild Park and the stadium. And, and you know that that's a, a real jewel of uh, the city. I mean, I love going to ball games out there. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great opportunity in the, and in between those two, you have the Walmart and, and you have some other businesses. So there's certainly opportunity there. It's just taking the step back and looking at the bigger picture of what it could all be and then trying to identify, well, where, where do you start? And and really with with this project, we're, we're creating a starting point for what the next chapter is for mm-hmm. this neighborhood in this area. How many people are on the SDAT team? So there are seven total, uh, two of those being um, AIA staff, so five uh, AIA architects from around the country. The team leader is a gentleman named by the name of Tom Liebel, who's, uh, this is what he does, is historic rehabilitation. He's worked on some former military facilities and some very massive projects. So this is really a passion project for him and for all those involved. They volunteer to do this. Yeah. So the AIA National puts out a, you know, a communique, and gosh, that's 50s language, isn't it? Um, We're talking about a 50s. <laughs> facility right it's maybe appropriate uh but they send the, the message out and say here's our roster of potential projects are you interested and according to the aia staff they had 
tons of people interested in it and logistically only a few could you know make it out of the the many who were but they've had multiple calls already they're asking all the right questions i've got you know tons of documentation i've already provided them a lot of our plans um, i'm going to head over to uh, an office and pick up some of the old building plans for the facility here soon and hopefully get some copies of those so we have those preserved and, and have a copy for them to look at but there's really a lot of interest in it from them so while the the team itself is is small uh they this is what they've all done. They're all professionals in design and historic rehabilitation and development finance. And that's that's probably the aspect that people maybe don't appreciate the most is these things are really tricky to finance and get funded. And we're not exactly in downtown Charlotte or Raleigh. Yeah. So the market itself uh, has a few challenges uh, to attract investment. So that's where tax credits, local landmark, this is in an opportunity zone. So uh, the, the, the federal tax law that passed in December created these opportunity zones and opportunity funds that are intended to be in uh, low and moderate income census tracts throughout the country. Uh, we purposefully, as a city, designated this census tract as an opportunity zone, knowing that this property and some of the adjacent properties were going to need assistance in getting the investment that, that's required. So there's a lot of tools to help put it together, but it's going to be a complex financial deal. There's probably going to be a lot of different moving parts to that and a lot of different tenants, you know, that we're, we're envisioning and, and I don't want to get ahead of the process, yeah. but it's probably going to be some form of mixed use with residential mm -hmm. office, professional space, um, maybe some public space as well. So really the sky's the limit to what it could be. But making sure all those are market feasible, that they can get funded. You know, there's there's some contamination from past uses on the site that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, a lot of that responsibility is on the federal government, thankfully, yeah. and the previous owners. So there's a plan to do that, of course, as well. That That's ongoing through a lot of different agencies. So a lot of moving parts to this. And that's where, again, having the AIA group come in and, and kind of provide, you know, some, some focus to it and pull all these different disparate pieces and put them into the same plan. And yeah, it's aggressive that we're, they're doing that over, yeah. a, over that short period. But I think it's important to remember this is the preliminary findings. And then there will be a final report a few months later that will be more refined. It'll uh, have more time to digest some of the mm -hmm. feedback that's been received, more time to understand the marketplace and you know what market rents can be and who could possibly be a financial partner or player in this. That timeline seems to fit a little bit better than just a compressed you know few days. But sure. This is how they've done it. They've uh, done, I think, five or six of these a year since, gosh, the 50s um, yeah. in both rural and urban settings. Uh, and that's the AIA SDAT process. Uh -huh. um, so we're, we're excited to have it. And it's, it's a pretty prestigious award. It's, um, I mean, almost $200,000 of in-kind services that the city and the neighborhood are receiving to do this plan. And I can tell you from my inbox and uh, some of my other colleagues who've been involved in this project, there's been a ton of interest and, you know, people are asking, well, how much do I have to pay for tickets to do a tour? And like, you don't have to pay. It's free. Yeah. Everything yeah. we're doing is free and public that we've advertised. And um, one thing I do want to push, uh, we talked about getting stories and storytelling. We have a specific feedback page on our website okay. that we want to encourage folks to visit and tell a story. So we're certainly open ears and, and want to hear as much as we can when you come out to the site on uh, Wednesday and then the final presentation on Friday. But if you have time, please check out our Western Electric SDAT page. And that's at burlingtonnc.gov. And there's a form in there that you can talk about you know, how the properties touched you, if you have any pictures or artifacts that you'd, you'd want to share or contribute or show us, all those different things. It's going to be exciting. And I'm excited to get in there just to see it. Hearing yeah. about it all these years, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people like me 
uh, certainly if you if you grew up here and lots have of never curiosity. Been in. Yes, so. and and people who've they've been connected to the property for decades and have never stepped foot inside the fence. Right. So we're we're excited to bring that opportunity to folks and certainly to to keep people engaged. So. Uh, what we want, what a successful STAT project for us is to get a ton of engagement on these three days, but also to keep those people interested and enthusiastic, you know, keep that enthusiasm through the years going forward. Cause this is not a quick turnaround type of project. It's right. going to take a lot of time. It's going to take some patience of the community of the city. Um, so we want to manage those expectations to a certain extent, but we have to keep the enthusiasm and the creativity going because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to take a short period of time, all those different things mm. and, um, and economic development, you know, our, our, our turn cycle is not short, you know, right. this isn't walking to a store and buy a product, you know, we have a great product, but that product takes time to mature and then to become viable. And, uh, with this plan, this, these are some of the first steps to do that. Um, but in order for everything to really come together, it's going to take the commitment and the passion and the patience of our city and the investors in the project. Mm-hmm. Well, th- thank you, Peter. No, it's my pleasure. And, uh, um, I should ask, is there anything that you didn't get to say? This has been the easiest, uh, uh, <laughs> the easiest interview podcast I've ever done. Cause yeah, you've, you, I talk a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's good. It, you know, your stuff. I would say if anybody has any questions or concerns, you know, I can be reached at three, three, six, two, 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 five, one, four, seven. That's uh, the office of economic developments number. And then P Bishop at Burlington NC.gov. Send me an email, leave me a voicemail. If you're able to come, that's fantastic. If you're not, and for any reason want to still engage on the project. Um, what I love to do more than anything is talk to people about their businesses, their ideas, their interests, um, on this property or anything. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm here to do, to be a resource to the citizens of uh, Burlington, whether it's this property or another property. But um, if there are specific questions to, you know, regarding this project, they can reach out directly to me and, of course, visit the our website and use that feedback form. Great. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate and uh, look forward to seeing everybody out there. All right. Thank you, Michael. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.